What up, guys? I'm backstage at Eperfest here in Belgium. I'm dropping uh, this episode today. Uh, I listened to it since I've been on tour. It's, it's fucking awesome, but it's really long. I know people have been complaining a little bit about how long the episodes have been, so this is our first uh, part one and part two. So this is part one of Mike Judge. Hope you guys enjoy. This is an amazing conversation with an amazing human. Thank you, Mike. One life, one chance, gotta do it right. One life, one chance, gotta do it right. Welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Today, I have a very, very special guest, a good friend of mine. Um, welcome to the podcast, my friend, Mike Judge. How you doing, Mike? What's up, brother? We're finally on the phone together. For those who are tuning in right now, this is not Mike Judge from Beavis and Butthead. This is the original OG Mike Judge from the band Judge. Um, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, I have so many questions for you. We've, we've been trying to lock this down for months. We're going to do it this past weekend, but Joe had the podcast equipment. He got stuck in the Carolinas. We didn't get to see each other in Jersey. Um, well, I wanted to do it in person with you, but it's, but it's crucial that I have you now because I'm in the middle of all my New York City, um, the New York City you know, chapter of my life, um, which is interesting because I, I only met you once back then probably, but we actually became way closer since you came back you know, on the judge reunions. Um, um, I don't know if we were met back then, do we? Do you know? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm, I think in, I'm not 100%, but I'm not sure. Yeah. All right, so before we get to that and all what's happening now, I want to take it back to you. Um, first and foremost, where were you born? I was born in uh, Montville, New Jersey. Born in New Jersey, pretty much lived in New Jersey most of your life. Yeah. And um, how was that growing up in New Jersey? It was all right. You know? It was when I was. It was like a little town when I when I was first growing up. There wasn't many people here. My father, my father was from uh, Manhattan. And then he moved to West New York, and then kept going west. He wanted to get away from the city. Yeah. So he found this place, Montville, which is right off the highway, and it was just nothing but fields, farmland, and shit. But uh, it was cool because it was right off the highway. So we're actually 20, 25 minutes from the city, but wow. you would never think of it. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It's, it's weird to have something so like country and so like kind of in the woods and it's so close to Manhattan. It, it's, it's always mind boggling me, especially in. Like some places in New Jersey, how close they are to Manhattan, but like, it seems like a whole different freaking country. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Um. So how? So you got brothers, right? How many brothers you have? I have uh, two brothers. One one passed away, and uh, I have a sister who passed away. Wow. And how? When did? How long? How long? When that? How long ago? How long ago did that happen? Like when you were younger, or was it when you were in adult life? Yeah. The my my oldest brother and sister passed away before I was even around, so oh wow, never got to meet them. Wow, that's that's heavy. I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Um, then there's my my other brother. He's uh, ten years older than me, you know. So yeah, there was like a big gap. Yeah. So how how was how was my judge in school? Uh, <laughs> I could have been great. Yeah. Um, I think I was, uh, the way I was brought up, I wasn't brought up, 
around a lot of people. So when I first got thrown into school, I was like kind of introverted, shy, couldn't talk to people, instantly labeled like a freak outcast. Yeah. So, uh, you know, didn't mind it much. And then, uh, I I was pretty good in school. And then in high school, when all like social cliques start taking over, that's when, uh, that's when I really figured out that um, that I was like a an honest to god outcast. Yeah, I just didn't fit in anywhere. What 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 grades did you figure that out? Just for like middle school, or just when you got into high school? Yeah, I guess middle school. You know, around eighth grade, I, I started feeling it, and then you know, freshman year of high school was like you know a sledgehammer across the head when it came to uh, you know what's cool and what's not cool. Yeah. And did your brother? Your brother didn't go to school because he's ten years older. So it was, it was just you in there. Yeah, much. He, yeah, he was already gone. Yeah, he was already doing his thing. So I had like a couple of kids who I who I knew, but basically once I got into high school, I was on my own. And uh, like I said, I was like, I didn't talk much. I was kind of, I was a real fucking, I guess, wallflower, so to speak, you know. And yeah. uh, that. That made that made got me a label as a fucking freak, and then uh, basically I just shut down totally to the point where I got kicked out of all my classes, and then I was uh, put in a special class called transitionals. Okay. So we took all our classes in one class in this little little corner of the school. Yeah. We weren't we weren't allowed to walk around the hallways. You know, we were most of us were troublemakers. Uh, just kids like that and then kids like me who couldn't you know handle it socially I guess yeah. so they stuck us in that class and uh, that's why I spent my four years in school and it was great because the teachers were a different type of teacher you know they yeah. weren't like the, the one I had them, I, I had one teacher for three years he was like a Vietnam vet he was all screwed up in the head but he was awesome yeah, and then my last year was uh, another great guy, and uh, I mainly didn't do much book work. Did played a lot of chess and uh, awesome. graduated. So well, you, you, so you had pretty decent grades during that time. Yeah, yeah, enough to pass. I didn't really care, you know. Yeah, like uh, not to be like all punk rock and shit, but I. <laughs> Um, on like tests and shit, I would just write like lyrics to like descendant songs, you know, and just hand it in, you know, just to be like a motherfucker. So <laughs> teachers didn't get it. They're like, "What the fuck is this? Yeah. What do you mean I'm not a loser? What? Yeah, you know, like shit like that." So, so, okay, so did you play sports too when you were in school? Or no. Uh, I played football for like a year, but yeah. I couldn't get into the fucking. That jock mentality, totally. locker room bullshit. Yeah. So. so no sports. So okay. So you mentioned descendants. So okay, you're in, you're in high school. Your brother's not in school with you. You're like the weirdo in the school. You're in New Jersey. So you must have found some other people that were into the same shit. Oh uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, it seemed like. Uh, what happened was I was like hanging around. Like I wouldn't go in the lunchroom because too much of being an easy target there so i wound up like finding my way out to like this area where 
everybody would go out to smoke, like the smoking lounge. Yeah. And uh, so I'd go out there because no one would fuck with you. The people out there were like freaks, burnouts and whatnot. Yeah. And I could just mingle in and fucking mind my own business. And I would see these guys who were just hanging by themselves off to the side. And they, you know, they looked all fucked up. And they had spiky hair and shit, and <laughs> you know, fucked up shirts and shit. I had no idea what that was about. And uh, so after that, I noticed them. And uh, I noticed that they didn't give a shit that they weren't part of, like, a bigger clique. You know, there was just a handful of them, and they were happy like that. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. I started noticing them more and more around the school. And then uh, eventually I got put into this homeroom where... Uh, one of them was in there and I started talking to him, like, you know, just making a conversation. And he was started telling me about like, you know, bands and stuff. And he's into punk rock. And I was like, what the fuck's that? And <laughs> he's like telling me all this shit. And then he was like, he actually said, you need a ride home after school. I'm going to stop by my house. And, uh, because we have band practice. And I was like, you know, like, what do you mean you're in a band? And he's like, yeah, we have a band. This band was called Sand in the Face. Nice. And, uh, and, uh, so I wound up going with them and they're like, you, you got to go home or you want to hang out? And I was like, I'll hang out. Went inside, listened to them jam, and I was fucking blown away. They're like this little punk rock three piece. Fucking, yeah. I was just, I was so stoked that it was these kids you know, banging out these songs, making music, screaming and shit, and having a fucking blast. And uh, that was it. That was it for you? That's one. Was that, yeah, I just had, wanted to be a part. Yeah, have, had you, have you seen live, live music before that? No, never. Yeah. And like, what was your, what was your musical taste before that? Before uh, that? Basically, I had my, my brother's... Uh, See, my brother's ten. Yeah, my brother's my brother's ten years older, right? So, like, he's in the seventies, and he's got this music collection. And the eighties turns around, he turns into like this disco type guy, right? And he don't want any of this record, so he gives me this whole box of records, and it's all like, uh, you know, Credence, Kiss, Bowie, all this shit. Damn. And so that's what I would listen to. I used to listen to that shit, and uh, constantly, just every day, just listening to music, you know. To, to the point where I was like, I guess almost in like this fucking fantasy world where I was like living out this shit, playing air guitar and stuff. And, uh, that was it. And, um, so, so that, that's, you listen to that. And then you get exposed to this, this punk band, this three piece punk band friends of yours. And they're the ones who are like, yo, check out these bands. Like pretty much. Yeah. Like, uh, it was great. Cause, the one dude, the singer, this guy Paul, right? He, he, uh, he's like, a, you know, what's your name? Shit. We introduce each other. He's like, I'm like, I have no idea what any of this stuff is, dude. I'm like, way out of my element. <laughs> so that day, he drives me home and he gives me like uh, the Black Flag Nervous Again record. Sick. Tells me to take it home, listen to it. So I listened to it. I was fucking. I, I, I wasn't prepared for, for it. I was yeah. like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then uh, every day I'd get another record from him, like, you know, Sex Pistols records and all that kind of shit. And then uh, I remember I talked my father into taking me to a record store we had a couple towns over called Looney Tunes because yeah, I, I wanted that. to get, like, a record. Yeah, Looney Tunes. And uh, 
so he took me over and I just went to the guy and I was like, listen, I'm, I want to buy like a punk rock record. Though. Like you have this, this record, uh, nervous again by this band black flag. So the dude's like, nah, I ain't got that. But you know, their new record came out. It's called damage. Do you want it? And I, was, I looked at the cover. It was just like fucking fist in the mirror. And I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> this is the fucking, this is, this is an epic point in my life right now. I can feel it. Yeah. I fucking got that record brought the damaged record home played it fucking loved it put on side two and was fucking floored side two of the damaged record was my life in a fucking nutshell awesome. and that was I, and i was just i was obsessed out after that and then after that like and it wasn't like long it wasn't like long after that that those guys were like you know we're going to a show you think you sneak out on a, on a for a night show and i was like yeah no problem because no one cared and my father was like I only live with my father and my brother. My yeah. brother was always out. My father was always out. He owned the bar, like a couple towns up. So he was never around. So I could just come and go as I please. Wow. How old are uh, how we, how we talking? Uh, that was the way it was from like when I was 11 on. So there's never any structure at all. You know, so, my father <laughs> would work all day and drink all night. You know, I was like that type of dude. Wow. So no religion, no religious family, no strict curfews, no none of that stuff. Nothing, dude. You're on your own. Nothing. Yeah. All I had to do is not get caught. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not bring the not, not I did just don't bring the police to the house. That's it. Damn. You know? That's why after a while, like like, so I go to my first show. Right, they my first show is like this uh this like big show in the Irving Plaza. There was like crowd and. Adrenaline OD, Beastie Boys, something like that. It's like really big show. And uh, it was epic, you know. And uh, all this shit's going around. We, you know, I learned about the misfits who were wound up being like a couple towns away from me. Yeah. And I'm fucking so stoked that this band is like actually Jersey guys, you know, because it was weird being a Jersey guy in New York back then. I'm sure. That's, and, that's uh, crazy thinking that like the misfits live a couple towns over from you. That's fucking, that's bugged out. That's awesome. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, so I would like, I would want to do that like every fucking night. Like, can we come, let's go to do a show every night, you know, because it was so epic. Yeah. But those guys were like, not to that point. They were very like New Jersey punk rock, you know, they would go, they would drive to shows in New Jersey yeah. and just big shows in New York. Yeah. But I didn't, I, I had no way to get around in New Jersey but I could walk down to the highway and catch the bus into the city. Yeah. So it was much easier for me to go to, to New York shows than to any joke show in Jersey because I would have to get a ride. Yeah. So that's what I would do. I found out they, they actually took me to my first matinee at CBGB's, which was like a, like the old agnostic front with John Watson. Yeah. 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 And wow. Shit. That was like a Saturday afternoon and I was like fucking blown away. Like the, everything was just fucking great that day. And, uh, you know, I find out that, you know, this CB does this every weekend and I was like, I got to go every weekend. I got to be here every weekend, <laughs> but no one would go. So that's when I would start going to the bus and just going into the city so you know, on my own and just like, and it was epic. So you were a teenager then and still in high school going to shows by yourself to Manhattan. Yeah, dude. I was like fucking 14, something shit, some shit like that. I don't know why, but I wasn't scared. I used to have a fucking, I don't know why, 
but I had so much fun, you know, walking out of Port Authority and just walking through Midtown with as bad as shit was back then. I had a fucking blast. Like yeah. there was like karate and pornos on every corner, you know, fucking everybody was getting <laughs> robbed and shit. Charles Bronson movies, uh, Death Wish yeah. and shit. <laughs> and, uh, and I fucking loved it, man. I just loved it. It's almost like you're you out there. You're like, you're just like facing it all. Like you're a young kid, but you feel like a man and adult. You're getting off the, all by yourself, walking through Manhattan by yourself, like a little kid, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, you know, I look at it now, and I look at like kids who are like 13, 14 now. I'm like, holy shit! You know, there's no way that this kid could do that. But like, I don't know what did I look like doing it. You know, it's it's a weird thing. But there were a few of us who were like that, who were, who were that young doing it. Yeah, especially especially us Jersey kids, you know. And it's pretty amazing that like, you know, for, for however how you grew up, and you had that freedom to do what you wanted, and your dad's like, just don't bring the cops home. That you could you could you could have took any other you could have took a crazy ass path, but instead you like straight edge and a hardcore band, you know, going to shows like you weren't like really wilding out, were you? Did you start wilding out after that or anything before all that stuff or no? I was already, I mean, I was already. I was already fucking up like big time. Like I was already drinking and okay. doing whatever. So you were partying, uh, going to the city by yourself, going to shows and partying out there by yourself or with friends out there, whatever. Yeah. I, I actually, I actually was, I actually was getting my shit together when I started doing that. Okay. When I was younger. All right. <laughs> all right so I don't usually go into this part of, of my life. All right. But uh, like I said, my mom, my mom passed away when I was like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. Yes. So I live with my father and my brother. And uh, my father doesn't want to fucking have a kid hanging around. You know, he doesn't want to take care of a fucking kid. It's mm. obvious to me he doesn't want to take care of a kid. Mm. He, owns a, he owns a bar. You know, he was a big, big, big drinker in town. Yeah. And, uh, and my brother was a partier. And, you know, he, when I'm like 10, he's 20. So he doesn't want his little brother hanging around. He doesn't really want to stay home and watch his little brother. Yeah. My father doesn't want to stay home and watch his little kid. So I spent a lot of time with, like, neighbors. Gotcha. And being like, a, being like a hillbilly town that it was, I was always in the back of some buddy's pickup truck, yeah. parked in some bar while the, while the parents were inside getting loaded and the kids were out in the parking lot playing. Damn. That's just the way I grew up from, yeah. like, an early age up. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, my mom passes away. Now my father's like, I'm not saying he's a dick, but he just doesn't want to. He just doesn't want to raise a kid. Yeah. And so basically, his way of doing it was just, well, he can feed himself, and he can, you know, take, you know, he knows where his bed is. He'll be fine. He knows. Leaves me to my own devices. Yeah. Yeah. And. uh but uh, so the weekends would come. My father would, would just want to fucking go up to his bar and not come back. So he started sending me to my grandmother's house, okay. which was which was back in West New York, over like uh, Bergen County, you know, like yeah. right right across the river from the city. So I lived with my grandmother on the weekends, and my older cousin was like a full full blown junkie, like just a full blown junkie yeah. and so was her boyfriend 
And my grandmother was, you know, she just didn't know. I don't know if she knew, but it seemed like she didn't know because she was always like, you know, my, my, my cousin would always be like, I got to go to the clinic. And then my yeah. grandmother was, take Michael with you. So, you know, I'd be like 10 years old standing in line at a methadone clinic. You know, it's oh, fucking dude. weird. Yeah. So the, the, the fucking routine was she would go to the fucking methadone clinic, get her shit. And then she, we would hit the city and we'd go to the Bronx and then she would score dope and then drive around, do whatever, find a movie theater, fucking go into the movies. I would sit like two rows in front of them while they shot up two rows behind me. It's a movie theater in the Bronx. And that's the way my fucking weekends were for shit from like fucking nine, 10 years old until, you know, 13. And, uh, you know, I, I remember, I remember the fucking blackout in 1977 being in this, big boat of a car fucking ro- while they drove around robbing people and shit or robbing apartments while you're sitting in the car yeah wow. yeah dude yeah i remember all that shit like it, it was just a crazy way to grow up yeah so by the time i was like you know 10 11 years old i, I fucking knew how to fucking you know tie off and tap a vein and shit i knew i just knew way too much Damn. and uh and then other shit happened with other, you know, there was like, there was like this fucking kind of like sexual abuse type deal with these other cousins of mine. It was just, oh, like, it was just torment, tormented fucking childhood, right? But um, I never thought, I just never let myself think about it, you know? Yeah. It just, it just yeah. wasn't. I, I always just said, hey, it's not my fault. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a fucking kid. What am I supposed to do? 100%. So, so, as time goes on now, when I get like, I'm like 13, 14 years old, you know, I'm just like, Adam, I'm not going down to West New York anymore. You know, she, and besides my fucking cousin winds up nodding out with a cigarette and burns the whole apartment building down anyway. Holy shit. So, so I'm, my grandmother's now living up here with my father and I'm 13, 14 years old. And now I found this new family in New York and I want to go see them you know, as much as I can. Yeah. So I started taking the bus into the city and, you know, I fucking find a life there. You know, I, I, I spend the day like hanging around in midtown, just fucking having a ball laughing at all the fucking marks. And then, uh, yeah. wind up downtown. And that's where I met like the most important people in my life. I met down there. That's what I was going to ask you next is like, who were who some of the first people you met from some of those bands that you're still friends with today? And then obviously like with your, um, first band that started before Judge, um, you know. So Death before the Sun. Yeah, Death before the Sun. So, like, what happened? So, what, what's the next move at when you start meeting people? The, now? Well, we had this, me and some friends. We had this little band called Future Confusion, okay. and we went and uh, we almost played A Seven once. It didn't happen. Okay. But uh, I start going to shows. First people I meet are like Vinny and Roger. Yep. And uh, and. We also had a we all. I was also friends with another New Jersey kid, Mark Ryan. Yeah, super touch. Who was from Nutley, and uh, so, and he's friends with like Keith, course for the course for long guys. They're all from Nutley. Yeah, and uh, so I, I wound up hanging with him and shit. And they would take us in the city, and they it was Keith who began to teach me the wrongs and rights of. New York, like how to survive. Yeah. And then introduced me to Roger and Vinny. And 
you know, Roger and Vinny were like, they, they totally took us under their wing and totally took care of like us younger guys. Awesome. As they, as they still do today with other bands, which is amazing. Um, yeah. So, the, so they meet the like, best. you meet like these kind of like father figures in the scene because obviously you, your dad wasn't really there that much. So you go into the scene meeting these older guys you look up to and they're part of the scene that you love so much and they kind of be kind, be kind that's total family right there. That's like everything about hardcore music and hardcore scene that attracts people from kind of broken homes in different situations and that's exactly what happened yeah. to you at that point. They meet Roger and Stigma who are like huge brothers. It's crazy now because they're not much older than you or I but back then when you meet these people and they're like in these bands and you look up to them you think they're like 10 years older than you but they're really not much older they've just been around you know a little bit longer yeah like the dude i, yeah. I swear to god the first like like i said like my father was always like do whatever you want just don't bring the cops to the house <laughs> and fucking make sure you're in school by monday you know that was that was the most fucking parenting <laughs> he did right yeah. so i remember i remember i i'm like at the point where i'm like staying in in the city like all weekend and I'm crashing at a, there was this apartment back then called Apartment X on Norfolk Street. Yeah. And uh, I don't even know who actually had the apartment, but we'd all wind up crashing there. And then, uh, you know, heavy drugs started taking over that. So I wound up, I started crashing in uh, outside Apartment X in Roger's van, which was parked out, out front. Wow. I would crash there. So, and I did, I remember this like, it's, it's so crazy because I'm fucking, I'm standing out on the sidewalk with Roger and Vinny comes over and Vinny goes, you know, where was the kid last night? He goes, uh, he, he slept in the van and Vinny goes, on a school night. He slept in a van on a school night. <laughs> and after that, <laughs> after that, I started, if it was a school night, I would crash at Vinny's, at Vinny's house. Wow. It's like a great, that was like more parenting than my parents did. <laughs> That's crazy. I could totally see Vinny saying that and hearing your voice, man. You actually sound like him. Um, so shit. So at that point, you're going to show. So we, you were still in school, obviously. And then, yeah. Like, what did you want to do with your life? Would you think about? Did you really want to do music? Like, was that your goal at that point? Or no, nah, I mean, I was in a band, and I wanted to. I wanted to be in a band, but I never pictured the band doing anything. And you I never even pictured any. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I sang first, right? Yeah. I was, I sang, and then uh, you know, Mark Ryan was a good friend of ours. He was always with us, traveling with us, and uh, Vinny hooked us up with a drummer, this dude Billy Psycho. Yes, and uh, he played drums for us. So we played like we played A Seven like once or twice with that lineup, and then uh, you know we're supposed to play A Seven this night. And we can't find Billy, and we find Billy in the park in, in Tompkins Square, and he's. You know, whatever he's doing, he was doing. He's yeah. like talking to trees. He's like talking to a tree and shit. Like fucking really weird. Damn. So we walked out of the park and we're like, you know, we got to do something. We can't be in a band with this dude. And uh, that's when I was like, hey, you know, let Mark Ryan sing. I'll I'll figure out how to play drums just so we can keep the band together. And that was the beginning of Death Before Dishonor, which turned into Super Touch. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. So what year would that be? Uh, probably 85, 86. Yeah. 85, 86. Um, 
And so you're still in school, like what? Maybe grade? maybe even eighty four because uh, damn, it's probably like eighty four, eighty five. So I joined Youth Today in eighty seven. So okay, so so how old are you in eighty four? Eighty forty five. You like you're like in you're still in high school, obviously. Um, yeah, graduated in eighty six. Okay. Let's say so. In eighty six, you graduated, and your band's playing shows. And then, are you still kind of like partying and hanging out? And just before you became straight, as you met Youth of Today guys and stuff like that, or no, I I was done drinking and all that shit. What happened was uh, years before, you know, my usual routine, which is what I learned from these older punk rockers who brought me in. Yeah, was you know we go to the show. Walk across the, go to CVs, walk across the streets of Bodega, buy like a small bottle of whatever and drink it, you know, get loaded, go inside and have fun. Yeah. So it's, I remember it was like uh, the night of UK subs played like a couple night shows, like middle of the week at CVs and no one would go because of the middle of the night. So I went by myself. Damn. And uh, I did my usual thing and um, I got fucking really, really fucking loaded. And, uh, I'm fucking, guess I fucking, I, I did something to the wrong fucking guy and I got my fucking head handed to me inside CB's like a fucking nasty, nasty beat down. Damn. And, uh, I just remember like fucking opening, I remember opening my eyes and I was like laying down in the fucking corner underneath the speakers of the, of, of, uh, the dance floor in CB's and, uh. I was like, fuck, you know, like, what the fuck? I was wrecked. Holy shit. And I was walking, and it was just the beginning of the fucking, of a miserable night. So I was all fucked up. And there was this dude, Eric Casanova, who was a friend of ours. He was like, are you all right? You're all right. You should go get checked out. I was like, no, I got to go home. I got school tomorrow, you know? I got to fucking go. Damn. And uh, so I fucking, I, I get up to Port Authority, and I miss my bus, because the last bus was like at 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning. So I missed my bus. Now I got to catch the first bus, which is at like 5.36. So I'm sitting in the chairs in Port Authority and there's no one around. And these fucking two cops come and they're, and they're looking at me and I'm all busted up and shit. I must have looked like a homeless runaway kid or something. Damn. So they started asking me all these fucking questions. And I just try to ignore them. And I get up and I walk into the fucking bathroom. And I walk up to the fucking urinal and taking a fucking piss. And these two cops walk in behind me and they, they're, keep, they're constantly like saying shit to me, asking me questions. And my head is just still ringing from getting my head kicked in. And then the fucking cop just takes the back of my head and, you know, shoves my face into the fucking wall and says, you know, get back to Jersey. Don't come back, kid. You know, go oh. back to where you came from. And fucking just like totally levels me. Holy and uh, shit. I was like, just totally fucking, my nose was like fucking broken. It was just a mess. <sighs> so I wound up getting onto the fucking bus and I get into town and I'm walking. I have like a half a mile walk to get to school and I don't want to go home because I'm all fucked up. So I, in my fucking brilliant fucking mind, I just like, I'm just going to go to school. All bloody and not realizing, oh, oh, dude, not realizing what a mess I fucking look like. But, uh, on that, that I, I didn't, I wound up not going to school because on the walk home, I was thinking about all these things and, 
And I fucking like, I just, I just was so fucking happy because I felt like, I felt like last night on my own, you know, I went into this fucking city that all these other guys are, you know, afraid to go to unless they're in a group. Yeah. I went there by myself, fucking fought a guy who was like a man, even though I lost, <laughs> I still, I still fucking, I still tried. Uh, and I was like, nothing. And then, you know, like my whole life, I was getting my ass kicked by jocks in, in my town. Yeah. It's just what they did. They, they, they found you by yourself and they kicked your ass. Yeah. So on that walk home, I was like, I am not afraid of anybody in this fucking town because last night I, just, I fought a fucking monster. In Manhattan. You know, I'm full, <laughs> yeah. I fought a fucking monster and fucking lived. Like what yeah. are any of these fucking guys going to do? Yeah. And that was like a, it was like a whole new world for me after that. Holy shit. I survived the night but, in New York. And I also, I also came to the, I also came to the conclusion that in my mind, I was like, the only way I got beat up so fucking bad is because I was fucking loaded. Mm. If I wasn't fucking loaded, that wouldn't have happened. And yeah. that's, that was it. I stopped drinking, stopped everything. I didn't know it was straight edge. I didn't know anything about straight edge. Yeah. I just knew that getting fucked up got me fucked up. Yeah, that's it wasn't a minor threat thing. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, just, just a real, real no. life situation. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple guys in the city, like Kevin Crowley and uh, and uh, the dude from uh, Reagan Youth was Al Pike. Al, Al Pike, I think he he was straight edge. Kevin Crowley was straight edge. Yeah. So there were a couple guys, but I didn't know it was straight edge. I know Kevin Crowley had that drug for youth on his back of his jacket. Yeah. I I never thought it gave it a second thought until that walk home. It all made sense. Like. It's pretty amazing. Actually. Um, I, I want to be a I want to be a part of this dangerous fucking place. I have to have my fucking head on me. Yeah. To, my head has got to be fucking clear. I have to be able to think. Yeah. So, at that point, you're not claiming straight as you just all of a sudden not doing it anymore. And then, how soon after that did you meet Youth to Today guys and join that band? I guess like a couple of years later. Like this whole oh, thing wow. happened where like this whole thing happened where uh, you know. Death Before Dishonor started, like, everybody started playing, like, a little bit more metal-type music. Yeah. And uh, we were getting stupid with it. And uh, we played this show at CB's, and I just felt like, it felt like like an embarrassment, you know? It was like, mm. we had this fucking dude on guitar who was, like, had, like, this laser pistol on his pickups making this weird sound. It's just, <laughs> he wasn't from, he wasn't from, he didn't have, like, a punk rock background and shit. It was like, yeah. it got crazy. And we were doing, like, Iron Maiden covers and shit. And I just, I was just like, I'm out of here, you know? Oh, I, wow. I wound up splitting for, like, a, I wound up quitting the band and, like, splitting the whole scene for, like, maybe a year or so. Damn. Because I just felt like, I just felt like, I just like pissed all over this fucking family that took care of me for so many years yeah. and I just turned my back on it. Mm. And so, uh, it was, a bunch of time went by in like, like a year or so. And then Mark Ryan, who was a singer of death force honor at the time, he fucking calls me. He's like, Hey, let's go, let's go to a show. There's this band I want you to check out. And I was like, yeah, I'm not fucking, I'm not doing shows no more. I'm not into it. He's like, no, there's this hardcore band that plays hardcore the way we loved it, and they're doing it again. And uh, but they're a new band. Come check them out. So we drove up to Boston to see uh, Youth of Today. Wow. They turned out for Youth of Today, and 
that I was fucking blown away. I was fucking, I was in love. So, uh, I don't know how, like a week, maybe a week or two later, they, they wanted to play in Philly. And, uh, so Mark Rimes talks me into going. So I drive out to Philly, catch him again. And I'm just like fucking in love with it again. Yeah. And, uh, uh but on the way home, I wind up totaling my car, like getting into this car wreck. Holy shit. So, and I was all fucked up. So that kept me out for a little while longer, but I had a lot of time to think while I was like healing. And I fucking was in love with fucking youth of today. And I wanted to play music like that again. And so just yeah. before the sonar got back together to try and be like that, you know, to, to get back to the, what the music we were playing in the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was cool again. How old were you, uh, we having... you then? You saw... uh, 19, 20, 21. Okay. All right. Somewhere around there. So that's the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, it's like 86. It's like 86 okay. because, uh, shit. Because, um, we're hanging out with all those guys and shit. Like, yeah. Ray and Purcell had moved to New York. Okay. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing them a lot. And, uh, yeah, because I remember, I remember Chromags were playing the Ritz with, like, with somebody, like, I think I might have, might have been like the Chromags Motorhead show at the mm-hmm. Ritz. And I remember like uh me and my girlfriend at the time we were walking down to check it out. Yeah. And when we got when we got down to like uh, around Mark St. Mark's, I ran into uh Capo. Okay. And then Cap and Capo was like, Hey, you know, we need a drummer, you feel like trying out? And I was like, Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm not letting them know that I was a you know, I was stoked, fan, but yeah. I was pretty fucking stoked. Yeah. And then we get to the show and uh wound up running into Purcell and then Purcell asked me again, Yeah, please try out, come try out. And then I was like I real I was like really, really fucking excited and uh that was the beginning of that. Who who was the drummer at the time? I think the drum the drummer at the time was Tommy Carroll. Oh shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Tommy Carroll and Craig. Yeah, that was a lineup. Uh, yeah, so they wound up, for whatever reason, Tommy quit or didn't want to play. And uh, so they needed a drummer because they had a record coming out. And um, I went and tried out this place called Giants, Giant Studio. Yeah, um, I heard of that, yeah. Fucking what a fucking shithole! But made a lot of music in that place. Was that for? Is that, is that for? Can't close my eyes. Seven inch. That's what it was for. No, that was for uh, break down the walls. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah, because they gave me the seven inch to learn songs. Yeah. And then uh, when I got in, when I tried out, and then I got into the band, then um, we went down. They were living. Ray and Purcell were living on like Fifteenth Street, I think. Yeah. So I. Went down there and they're like, "You want to hear the demo for the new record?" And it was a demo for "Break Down the Walls." Damn. And like the first song they played me was the song "Break Down the Walls," and I was like, "I've been blown away with that, dude." Fuck. I was like, "Fucking blown away." That song just fucking was like so incredible. Shit. And then Richie, Richie was in that lineup too for on that record, wasn't? Because that wasn't Richie on that album too. Yeah. Yeah. When I went, so that's who tried me out. When I tried out, it was uh, Ray and Purcell watching and Craig and Richie playing with oh, me. Oh, shit. They were just watching you? Yeah, dude. It was, like, it was sick. Crazy. It was sick. 
Yeah, you know what was really fucking really sick is uh, <laughs> I don't remember exactly what happened, but for whatever reason, I, I wasn't allowed in my house. So, uh, and so I had this tryout coming, right? And uh, so I snuck in my house and I grabbed like a snare drum and a hi hat and a kick drum, and I went to my girlfriend's house and I set it up there, and for like a week. I was just playing to the, you know, can't close my eyes record yeah. just with a snare kick and a hi-hat just, just to get the speed up. And oh, I just shit. never was that fast anyway. But, yeah. uh, so I didn't think I was even going to get in the band cause I couldn't play as fast as Tommy played or anything like that. Damn. But I uh, wound was, up getting a good. It was way different than death before the sonnet, like fast beats. You mean it's like a different level? Yeah. It's like that... super fucking fast yeah. and you know, the breakdowns were crazy and it's like, it, it was, I mean, I was, Judge. I loved it. Yeah. I fucking loved it. And how do you think you did? I thought I sucked in the fucking, <laughs> in, in the trout. I thought I sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, for whatever reason I got in, I don't know. But, uh, I just know that as soon as I got in there, like, okay, we're going to Canada next week to fucking, cause we got gigs with seven seconds. And I was like, what? Oh, you know, like, I was like blown away, dude. I've never been out of fucking, you know, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, you know, Philadelphia, the farthest I've ever been to. Hey, you're not flown in. Now I'm going, either? now I'm going to fucking Canada, you know, it's yeah. like crazy. Fuck. And did you like seven seconds at that point? Dude, I love seven seconds. That's why I was like, so fucking, I was so like blown away and I had no idea like how tight those guys were with Kevin. Yeah. So we get there and it, it was my birthday that weekend. So they get there and we're all hanging out and fucking Capo, and uh, Kevin Seconds walk in and they're singing happy birthday to me. Dude. And I was like sitting there going, holy shit, that's like Kevin Seconds like singing happy birthday to me. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with myself right now. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I mean, that was the guy, I mean, that's, that's the fucking New Wind record right there. Like, yeah, bro. There was nothing, like that record changed my whole way of thinking. Me too, dude. Let's just talk about that for a second because so many people love Obviously, skins, brains, and guts. The crew walk together, rock together. But new wind lyrically, and like all those different songs, man enough to care, calendar, fucking night away. All those for some reason that I, I would say, dude, that's my number one favorite seven. That one, then Soul Force Revolution. After that, I love all the records, but that new wind for some reason, that time it came out, I totally connected to it myself, man, lyrically and everything, man. Fuck. Yeah, no doubt. Dude. I mean, I had all those records. I had like committed and. Oh yeah. Skins, brains, all, all, all those records, and then all of a sudden, New Wing comes out, and um, it just floored me, dude. That's like one of the only records I had to like go buy again because I wore it out. I played it like so fucking much. That's amazing. Like, that record was a fucking total, total life changer. Um, I think that uh, when Kevin said on the podcast, he said when they were touring on that record that you know the response was kind of lukewarm in the Midwest when they got to the East Coast. He said that the response for the new end songs was the most incredible reaction they got on the whole tour. And he was shocked because New York has this harder edge to it. And he wasn't expecting people to even like that record. But he said when he got there, all the New York people, probably you included, everybody was so receptive. But he was really happy you know, on that on that on that tour. It was 86. Um, yeah, I mean, I think New York, New York is special, right? New York is special because that scene, especially from the beginning, it wasn't that it wasn't that the people who were in that scene were harder. It's just I think they all had to work harder to be a part of it. Yeah, I agree. Like, that makes in, sense. In that in the beginning of that fucking scene, like 
Yeah, we were like had to fight whole neighborhoods. You know, like <laughs> it, it wasn't safe for us to go to fucking shows. We we couldn't fight with each other because we had to fight whole neighborhoods were against us. Yeah, dude, I remember. Yeah. I remember like the Bad Brains were playing somewhere, and it was like one of the first nights I'm in I'm in New York, and uh, the Bad Brains are playing somewhere, and I want to go, and everyone is just like huddled outside uh, CBs, and uh, and Keith is like talking to everybody going listen we're all going to go together and we're going to stay together because it's it's a fucking shitty part of brooklyn and so we're all going to stay together and no one gets lost all right you know mm-hmm. and it was like listening i was like i've never been part of like a thing like that where everyone's like looking out for each other and shit but yeah. that's the way new york was yeah i think uh and then, and i also think new york was always like ahead ahead of everybody else when it came to music and that's why like when new one comes out people ate it up because they weren't everybody was looking for something good it yeah. didn't have to be like didn't have to be cookie cutter they just wanted something good yeah, the hard edge yeah. came the hard edge came from this city is a fucking hard place to live in you know yeah and uh all we got is each other you know yeah i agree and i feel like seven seconds was I don't know. I mean, just lyrically and all that stuff, just connected to. There was this. They were just singing about things that other bands were really kind of scared to sing about. Other topics, not just boys' fun. Just all that stuff. And like the other people really even talking about. Um, so yeah. So seven seconds. So you're going to Canada. You're playing with Seven Seconds. You're in the band. Fucking playing your first shows with them. Do you remember what that was like? Like getting on stage that night and knowing you're opening for Seven Seconds and. Uh, yeah, there was like a, it was like a big, big, big learning curve yeah. for me. Yeah. Cause, uh, I remember actually, actually at that show, this fucking thing happened with like these skinheads. And as soon as it happened, I just started swinging and I totally got like this talking to like backstage and shit on how like, you know, there's a time for that, but that wasn't the time we could have talked this out. And, mm. You know, people wound up getting slashed by these skinheads because trying to get them out of the building and shit. Oh shit. And so I actually got, I actually had Kevin seconds, like sing happy birthday to me. And then like kind of reprimand me <laughs> and all the same fucking <laughs> night. <laughs> so it was all kind of, it was like, it was pretty fucking Like cool. a father figure, man, like a dad and shit. Yeah. That's fuck. Yeah. But so there was a lot of instances like that, you know, because you said like Ray was Ray, Ray had a lot of like Kevin in him. Yeah, totally. And he was he was definitely a fucking leader. Yes. Like, dude. But we when we went on tour, you know, by the fucking first second week, I w- I would like go through a wall for that dude. You know, like yeah. if you told me to fucking do whatever, I would do it. I was fucking. He was just he was just that type of guy. Yeah. But there were definitely times where I was just used to reacting a certain way because of the way I came up, 100%. and and uh, he wasn't about that, you know. Yeah, and you were like you were like basically hanging on the streets, going up to New York all by yourself, and just you know what I mean, meeting people out you yeah. were like solo and shit, and like. I mean, there was even like stupid, stupid things that that just got to me. Like I'd never been on tour before, so. So we're out when we were out on tour. I mean, we were like fucking. We were, we were fucking bumming. I mean, we were, we nobody had any money. We were like making gas money at gigs and shit. And like we were fucking. 
we were fucking on the balls of our ass. I mean, we were fucking starving, we're tired yeah. and shit. And uh, so we were, I just remember being at this one show and we're raised like trying to sell a record. And uh, this dude's like starts fucking getting loud with him about the price he was selling it for. Mm. And I was standing behind Ray at the time. And I was like, when I, I'm, when I hear the kid saying this, all I can think about is like how much suffering and punishment we're going through to get here, you know? Yeah. And like this guy's talking to us, like we're fucking these, uh, you know, you know, we're raking in the money because we're selling this record for whatever. Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to, you know, kick the dude's teeth in. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was capital, capital, you know, talks me down from that. Makes me understand it, you know. This yeah. kid don't fucking know. This kid doesn't know that we fucking slept in a junkyard last night, you know. Yeah, exactly. Fuck, man. Um, so, how many sh- how many tours and stuff did you do with you to today? Like, how long are you in the band for? Uh, joined in '87. Yeah, I joined in '87, and I left in '88. Holy shit! I did like I did like the summer thing, the break down the walls tour, and then like these West Coast things where we fly out the West Coast and do some shit. Yeah. And then the East Coast stuff. And then there was the Break Down the Walls tour where, you know, that's where I was like getting, that's when like everything was, like we when we got out to like California and I first met like the Sloth Crew guys and shit, it was yep. fucking great. Yeah. Then we went up north and we get to San Francisco and we stay at the uh, Maximum Rock and Roll House. Wow. Tim O'Hannon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Tim O'Hannon. Tim O'Hannon is like, he's just talking to us like in this passive aggressive stuff way. And yeah. um, it's fucking just irking me. Like, this guy is like, I think this guy is, is making fun of us, but I can't really fucking put my finger that on it. That was always the vibe of dude. those people, too, like, of that magazine, too. You weren't sure if they were mocking. You never were sure what Max was. Yeah. Michael. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was making me fucking crazy. And, um, <laughs> I was like, I, I think this dude is fucking, I think this guy's making fun of us and I really want to fucking set it straight. And those guys are like, no, 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 this I got saying. And, and that, and, and in my mind, I'm like, I just feel like, I just feel like too many people are taking shots yeah, and nobody is doing anything and we're, we're turning the cheek and I know that's what we're supposed to do. And that's the right thing to do, but I'm fucking getting tired of not saying something back. I'm getting tired of not doing something back. Like in D- Detroit, our van gets broken into, all our shit gets stolen, my drum kit ca- gets stolen, my clothes. I have to do the rest of the tour with a couple pairs. Me and Richie are sharing a pair of fucking Avia sneakers Damn. and uh, a couple of pairs of pants that we got from uh, the Salvation Army, you know? And all, and all this, and, and and I'm hearing about like where these fucking, you know, these um, well-to-do uh, suburban kids and shit. And I'm just like, I just want to fucking take everybody by the fucking throat and fucking say, listen, this is what we've been doing. So yeah. you know, like I just, it's making me crazy, and it, it's just building up and building up and building up. And then we get out to San Francisco and the Maximum Rock and Roll thing with those guys just. I can. I know they're taking shots at us, but they're not just blatantly coming out and saying it. So That's I can't fucking like shit, fly yeah, off. Yeah. 
and it, and it's just building up, it's building up, and then we fucking we go to Arizona, we these skinheads fucking do some shit, and we they set up like this fight at, at outside this fucking place after the show, but the skinheads don't show up, and now I'm just like I'm 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 fucking I'm just like. I just want to be let off the leash, you know? Yeah. I just want to fucking go off. Yeah. And, you know, I love Seven Seconds to Death, but every time I would fucking want to do something, Kappa would fucking recite some Seven Seconds lyrics to me and fucking get me to calm down. Mm. And I just want to fucking, I just want to lash out because I'm tired of taking shit. Yeah. And uh, so our van breaks down. We get to Florida and our van breaks down and uh, we are stranded in Florida. And, we have we have no money, so we have to work in this junkyard to pay for the parts to fix our van. And I I don't know how long we we're there, maybe a half a week, a week, maybe. Yeah. And uh, somehow we we hook up with these uh, these girls who live together, and we we're crashing in their apartment. But um, somebody would have to take turns sleeping in the van to fucking you know make sure the equipment what's totally. left of it is sticks around yeah so the one night that i was in the van i was just sitting there fucking thinking to myself like about everything and uh you know i was just like this is great i fucking love this band but i just wish i had a band where i could just say what i want to say you know yeah. where i could just be like where i could just be like i don't want to turn the other cheek this time this time i want to fucking kick you know yeah. kick your fucking head and and make you understand. And that's when the fucking whole judge thing came to my head. Wow. So that was pretty much the end of it for you when you were on that run, that tour. Like After that, you're like, I'm doing my own shit. Yeah, I think I made it to, I made it to a, a, like another rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we were at Don Fury's and uh, we started talking about all these songs, these new songs for this next record. And, uh, I think I started playing, but then I was like, uh, you know, I just can't fake it anymore. And I just told those guys I didn't want to play. So you were like the, you were almost like the, you you were like the protector. You want to protect them. You want to stand up for them. You were like, you know, had their back the whole time, but, and you couldn't because they didn't want to, you know, take it that, take it that route. And, and you were pent up and you had things you wanted to say. And, and I feel like you, you, you became like the harder straight edge band. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just more like in your face and more direct and harder and not candy coated. Not like you think today was candy coated whatsoever, but I was just, just another level of, of the, of the youth crew vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, it was more angrier. Yeah. Because I was, my whole idea of, of like straight edge and shit was like, I, okay, it's great. We we all want to be better people, and if that's what you want to do, that's fucking fine. But what about the fucking ten year old kid who's being carted around by his fucking junkie cousin who's shooting up two rows behind him in a movie theater? You know, mm-hmm. he 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 doesn't want to hear. I just want to be a better person. I want I want to help you out. Yeah. No. I want to put my foot on your throat and end your fucking misery. You know, there's some yeah. people, I mean, there's some people like a lot of my anger on that record was about my cousin, 
you know, my her her daughter might wound up getting sexually abused by her by her boyfriend while she was nodding out. Yeah. It, all this shit. I mean, like it's heavy shit. It's real deep shit. I, yeah. I, yeah. I just I just didn't want to do the the fucking. I just didn't want to do the nice fucking approach. You know, flowers and fucking daisy straight edge shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. wanted to. Uh, I wanted to just hurt people back. Yeah, for sure. You, you and you were hurting too. You were coming from a place of pain, coming from a place of how you grew up and shit you saw at a young age, all that. You know what I mean? So you you had a lot to get off your chest. And it, do you feel like that was very therapeutic for you at the time, like writing those lyrics and making that record and? Oh yeah, when I fucking when I wrote the Judge lyrics, because I, I remember I, was, I had an idea for Judge, and uh, I didn't have a name yet, but I said I, I had this idea for a band. Purcell happened to come to the van to like check on me if I need water or anything, and we started talking. I was like, dude, you know, when we get back to New York, I think I got an idea for a band, and he's like, I'm I'm into it. I was like, so we get home, and. You know, I go back to Jersey and I just start writing fucking words and I'm like, I'm kind of like freaked out, like how easy it was for me to write some of these, some of the songs, some of these songs. I'm like freaking out. <laughs> and, uh, I start, I call Purcell and I'm like reading them lyrics and he's like laughing and he's like all soaking shit. And, uh, I was like, I was like possessed at that point. I was like, I could not fucking wait. And then we're like thinking he thinking he was like what do you want to call it and i was like i want to fucking call it something that's just across the board will fucking just piss everybody off just <laughs> fucking something so fucking elitist that no one will, will, will no one will ever confuse judge for youth of today mm. and uh that's when and i was that's when i came up with the name judge just to be like a, just to be like a dick I mean, it works and it's powerful and it works with lyrics and it's crazy how you say you started writing and you just kept flowing. You had, that, you had so much shit inside of you built up for all your childhood to get out with that record, man. And you can feel it, the lyrics, everything, the energy, all of it. It really like, it's like, it's like you birthed a fucking baby. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. And people, 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 people say that Age of Coral, I mean, uh, bringing it down was like the straight edge Age of Coral. That's, that's what people have said, um, which I think is, I think it makes sense to me, actually. You know what I mean? It's coming from a different, as far as hardness and recording and the guitars and the street, it just everything was singing about was real and raw and it was angry and it was fucking in your face straight to the point. I don't know, man. It's. I mean, that that's that's pretty awesome that someone said that. That's yes, pretty cool. I heard that but, many uh, times. You know, like, like, like there's 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 records in my life that have, have meant a lot to me. You know, like that the Damage record. You know, yeah. New Wind. Yeah. The breakdown of walls record, like another really important record in my life is the SSD Get It Away record. When I heard the Get It Away record, that I like, I love Minor Threat, but I didn't. I couldn't. I didn't even think about Minor Threat once I heard SSD. Damn. And the Get It Away record was everything to me. The the attitude on that record. Yeah just there was nothing like it yeah i was like somehow somehow i want to do a band that sounds like black sabbath ssd and last rites if i can fucking get those three bands together and make music that's the band i want to be in 
So those are the three main inspirations for Judge and in that, in that record in that time in your life. Oh, yeah, big time. That's amazing. I didn't even knew that. It's fucking awesome. So, all right, so you, you make the Judge record. Um, what year does that come out? Uh, 88, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's just when I just moved to New York. Okay, so when that comes out, okay, we got GBs out there and start today. Youth of Today might be having like winning this alone coming out around the same time, 889. The scene was kind of, that was like the, through straight edge, all that shit was thriving. Youth, all that in New York was just fucking, it was massive, dude. So when that comes out, yeah. like, it's it's got a more like, not, not want to say metal edge, so it's got a more harder edge than any other straight edge shit out at that point. Like, this is, this is going to be the hardest record that comes out as a straight edge person or band coming out at that moment because everything else it's hard and fast but this is more like slower with the breakdowns and the riffs all that um so what what was the initial reaction when that came out i i think there was so many of us at that point in new york that uh yeah we were all at each other's shows so i don't know i mean I remember our first the first show we did was uh, at the Anthrax with uh, with Drew Beat on drums. Oh wow, Drew, nice! And uh, we only did like a couple songs at the end, and uh, it was it was pretty epic. And yeah. uh, that's when we were like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna you know make this a permanent band." Because at first it wasn't even supposed to be a permanent band; it was just supposed to be me and Purcell. Uh-huh. to make this music so I could fucking rant. Yeah. And, you know, it was going to come out in the schism fanzine, you know, just like, wow. you know, a deal like that. It wasn't supposed to be a band. Yeah. It wasn't until, you know, like when we rehearsed for it, me and Purcell would go into giant studios again and he would play guitar and I'd play drums and then we'd just play and then he would switch to bass and I would sing and shit like that. Like, cause there's only yeah. two of us. So we really got it, put it all together in the studio with Don Fury. Shout and to Don as Fury. it was coming, as it was coming along, then we were like, wow, you know, this is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> you know, this, this would kind of be cool to play live, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm like, well, maybe we'll do like a, a couple shows, you know? Yeah. And then it was just one of those deals. So it was just going to be a couple shows only. Wasn't supposed to be any shows. Yeah, it's just once we heard it, we were like, "Damn, it's pretty fucking good." Yeah, there's gonna be yeah. So when he came out, he started playing shows, and then it's crazy because that was pre-internet, and it was just word of mouth. Like there's this, you know what I mean? Like people were talking about it. You know what I mean? Like throughout the scene. Yeah, I mean it was it was weird. You know, like like yeah, there was no internet and shit. So yeah, you play New York and you play Connecticut, and it's fucking it's fucking pretty kick-ass and you play Boston and Detroit and it's pretty kick-ass and then it gets rough on your way out to California you know it's like not a lot of people <laughs> yeah. people are like you know who the fuck do you think you are you fucking you know you fucking New York fucking tough guy yeah mm. shit like that like I came up I, I found out you know that basically like that is the kind of shit that tore the band apart yeah at the end of the day yeah for sure because we weren't around for a long time, you know. We we got in quick and we burned out quick. But there's a difference between but, like being angry and pissed at the world and want to sing about shit, and you're venting through shit all you've been through and just singing honest lyrics of, about everything that's happening in your life, than than uh, then like fronting that like you're this tough guy and like you fuck everybody up. 
that that wasn't your intention and i think that's maybe got misconceived that the name judge and how hard it was like it's it's crazy how people have their own i don't know different misconceptions about music in general or a song can be written one way and taken the other way or you know what i'm saying it's lyrics everything you know yeah i mean i i take i take uh i'll take the blame for like a lot of that because it wasn't supposed to be a band in the beginning yeah. and that's sort of this, and on the seven inch, the new crew record, I was really, my main purpose was I just wanted to fucking get everything that I had built up inside. I just wanted to get it out. Yeah. But however came out is, is the way it was. Then we become a band. Right. And then I see like, I see how like, even like a small dumb band like mine, what what these words are bringing out of people in front of me? Yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, holy shit, you know, like I, I have to fucking take responsibility for some of this shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are my these are my words that are causing this. I tried to, mm. I tried to like, uh, I tried to be better on the bringing it down record. I tried to be smarter with what I was saying and getting my point across. Yeah. I mean, but by then the fucking, by then, I mean, people just had this conception of what I was about. And, you know, I was like, I was like this fucking, you know, I, I killed drug dealers and shit and all this fucking (laughs) wacky shit I fucking heard. And, uh, you know, I, I heard all these like these crazy rumors. We pull in the fucking town, and somebody would think I did something, or you know, like just sort of, some of the shit was insane because there's no like there's no internet or anything for anybody to like check anybody's facts, you know? Yeah. So the no rumor would checking. the rumor would start on the east coast, and by the time it got to the west coast, you know, I was like a fucking giant killer. You know, it was fucking <laughs> crazy. You're a mass murderer. It's fucking crazy. So by the time you get to the west coast. The reception in the West Coast probably was awesome, right? Yeah, get to the West Coast and you know, hanging out, hanging out with the Swastika guys again, just fucking, yeah. just really fucking loving every every minute. Yeah, and uh, it was fucking great, man. And it, it reminded me of like how much fun it was to be in a band, you know? Yeah. But and then uh, then it comes time where we gotta head back home, so the tour continues on the you know, the southern half of the fucking states yeah. and um things get fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, that, fucking... That's like one of the last shows in Florida when somebody fucked with the guy in the crowd, yeah. correct? Yeah. I mean that whole fucking is it, it was like a weird, it was like a bad movie the way that whole fucking thing played out. You know, we stop at a fucking we stop in the Rocky Mountains to fucking check out like this scenic overlook type deal. Yeah. We meet this fucking American Indian lady who's selling like jewelry that she's made and stuff. Yeah. And we're talking with her and, uh, and her son is like, doesn't want to like, every time we look at him, he like hides or something. And she's like, well, don't, don't be offended. His father doesn't like white people. Oh shit. And so we're like, you know, all right, you know, it's weird, but okay, no yeah. big deal. So we're talking to her and she's like telling us all this shit how like, you know, 
the white people, like fucking, you know, people come here, they litter and shit. And she, she points like over the railing and we look over the railing and just like people dumped all their fucking garbage, like out of their cars, like all over this like beautiful scenery and shit. So it was like a real bummer, you know? And, uh, so we're talking to her and shit and, uh, she liked us and right and all. So I don't know if she gave everybody something, but she, she gives me this, uh, she gives me this bag of like, uh, I think it was sage or something. And she says, uh, take this and put it on the tailpipe of your van. And when it smokes, it'll give, it'll give your trip good luck. You know, it's like something like that. Yeah. Something innocent like that. So I'm like, thank you. You know, put it in my bag and we take off and we're headed, uh, forget where we played nothing happens whatever whatever texas gets canceled there's a clan rally uh Jesus. scheduled so the show gets canceled so now we're going straight to fucking straight to fucking florida and everybody is worn out i mean everybody is fucking worn out uh, i'm at the point where i don't even like anybody in the van you know it's like one of those deals how long was the tour for at that point how long was that tour yeah it's like one of those deals where you just just can't wait to be home. Yeah, you got one more gig, and you know it's in Tampa, and you get through it. So we're going through Tennessee, and it's like dusk, six seven o'clock or so, and we get pulled over. So these two cops come out. They tell everybody to get out of the van, Damn. and they're like asking us all these questions. You know, we're, you know what we're doing, where, where we are. You know what's in here? All because we had all gear like, you know, drum cases yeah. and shit. And uh, they want to search everything. And uh, for, I remember, like, I'm standing there going, "This is such a fucking hassle." You know, that's all I was thinking is, "This is such a hassle." Yeah. And then I heard the one guy going, uh, "What?" I think he called us like a fucking Yankee queer or something like that. Oh, or New- no, he called us. In, he called. He said something like a bunch of New York City queers. And when I heard that, I got like this little like tingle down my, the back of my neck going, this is not just going to be a hassle. This is, this is going to be turned into something. I can feel it. And uh, they're fucking, they're mainly talking to me and Purcell and I think Todd or Rody, because we're the oldest. Sammy and Matt, they look like little kids so they're leaving totally. alone. And uh, they're talking to me and they're saying all this fucking shit. What am I, you know, why am I down here? You know, what do I do up in New York, in, in big city New York, shit like that. And he's like right in my face, right? And he's got like all like chewing tobacco in his teeth and shit. Wow. And then uh, his buddy, his other, the other cop is like standing behind me. And he keeps looking over my shoulder at his buddy. And then all of a sudden he looks at his buddy and go, I can't remember the dude's name. Just say it was Joe. He goes, hey, Joe. You ever have a nigger? You ever have a nigger woman, Joe? Oh, and the guy and the other cop goes, "No, nah, I never had a nigger." And he looks at me and goes, "You ever have a nigger Yankee Yankee boy or something like that?" So I'm just standing. I don't even want to. Um, my fucking blood is like fucking boiling. Like the only thing I want to do is fucking hit this fucking guy. But I can see fucking Sammy and fucking Matt on the other side of us, and you know we we all made promises that nothing was going to happen to these guys, to their families, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and this dude starts saying all this shit and he's fucking 
every time he talks, like chewing tobacco, it's like spitting in your face, flying out of his mouth. And then he's like, he spits on my fucking sneakers, my fucking precious Van Chuckas. How fucking, (laughs) you know how fucking pissed off I was. He spit on my my fucking chucker boots. I wanted to fucking throw them off the fucking world. But, uh, holy fuck. I just remember fucking being there going, this is like, I'm like, it's like a movie. I'm like shit. totally fucking helpless here because these are fucking two cops. They could easily just fucking do, anything to do whatever. And so he goes in the fucking van. He's like taking all our shit out. All of a sudden I hear him fucking yell. Oh my God, we got him now. We got him now. And he's got my bag and he oh. pulls out that fucking bag of sage. Oh and he goes, God. what the fuck is this boy? What is, what is this? Look at the size of this bag. We got, and I'm like, oh my god! I don't even remember. I don't even know. I didn't even know what it was at the time. But I was like, so dude, I tried to explain that a, a fucking American Indian <laughs> had a seat <laughs> overlook in the Rocky Mountains gave it to me for good luck. Yeah, you know? they're like, yeah, whatever. Oh my like, god! Like, oh, this 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 is gonna sound fucking great. So I tried to explain, and they, they just laugh on my fucking face, and. uh then he finds like a bottle of uh, patchouli and he smells it and he's like, what the fuck is this? I thought you guys didn't, I thought you guys didn't fuck niggers. Only, only niggers fuck somebody smells like this. And I, oh my and God, we're just God. like, I'm just like, what, like, what the fuck do we do? Do, you know? And, uh, we wound up fucking situation. like, we wound up just giving, uh, giving them all our money. <laughs> Whatever we had, we did. No way they could pay off. Yeah, fuck. Dude. Yeah, they drove us. They they made us follow them to like a convenience store or some shit. I think yeah, some type of convenience store, and uh, make out, you know, give all the money, and then buy a money order to them, or some shit like that. Damn man. Or it was either that, or they would just lock me and Purcell up because we're the oldest and we could sit in jail from Friday to Monday or Tuesday. Fucking brutal, dude. So we wound up doing that and uh, we get back out on the road and like the spirit of, I mean, our spirit is just, there is none. Yeah. Like we're, we're totally like, I, I just, I was like, there's no hope for this fucking country. Fuck this fucking place. Fuck the fucking cops. Fuck everything. Yeah. Fuck this whole fucking world. We get it. So, uh, but like, like, you know, you know how you have to do Like you get, no matter where you're feeling, when you get to the gig, you got to fucking do your deal. hundred percent. So we get there and, uh, the fucking promoter lets us come to his house so we can take showers and shit and, we're hanging out and things are starting to look up and uh, Todd winds up coming up to the guy and goes, Hey, like, is there like a, a skinhead problem here? Cause we heard things like, Oh no, it hasn't been that way in fucking years. Everything's cool now. Like great. Take showers, book and start whatever, get something to eat, head over to the fucking gig. And uh, we're with, you know, you know, I don't know if you know, you know, Trevor, Trevor from Trevor Simsler from Vice. Yeah. yeah, Trevor was there. Yeah, so, yeah. So we're with him, right? Holy his shit. band is his his band is playing. I think we went to his house before. Wow. And uh, 
we fucking head over there. And uh, when we get to the gig, dude, the fucking both sides of the street are just lined with fucking skinheads, like hammer skins. Damn. And we're like, what the fuck? You know, like we thought there was no problems here. Yeah. And then the fucking, the dude comes out and he's like, you guys didn't tell me you have fucking anti fucking skinhead lyrics, anti-racist skin lyrics. I'm like, well, what did the, what did you think, dude? We weren't fucking screwdriver coming down here. I mean, Jesus dude, and they're like, ah, oh, this is this is going to be a mess. This is going to be a disaster. Public Enemy is playing here tonight at some big place, and they stopped here because of you guys. And that's where they're going. That's where they're going next. And Jeez, we're like, what the fuck? And dude, scary, there was man. just like so fucking many of them. There was like so many of them, over a hundred. It was like a parade. They were just that's lining crazy. both sides of the street, and that was like, that was like the only time I ever felt like I was really going to get it. Like I was. Maybe I was gonna like not make it home. Yeah. I actually fucking called my. I actually called my dad to fucking tell him, you know, take care of my dog, make sure nothing happens to my dog if I don't, you know. And he's like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Like, I can't explain, but just if anything, if, if anything happens, just make sure you, you take care of my dog. And uh, I just fucking just fucking start planning, like you know, getting ready. Wow. And uh, what's great is. Uh, that's what's great about my our roadie Todd, who just passed away, who was like That's right. my best friend. He's like always, he was always up for that. He never showed like that he was worried about anything. Yeah. So I'm fucking all panicked and shit, and I'm just like trying to find something to do with myself. And I walk over and I see Todd, and he's in the van, and I open up the you know van, and and he's in there and he's taping up his wrists. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting ready, man. This is going to be great. They're going to be talking about this for years. And I'm like, holy, holy shit. shit. <laughs> holy shit. Fearless. Fuck. But yeah, it's just like, just that kind of fucking stress and shit. And then we play the fucking gig and they don't, they don't come in until like halfway through our set. And then they come in and they fucking changes the whole mood of everybody because there's so many of them. Yeah. And uh, but they're fucking singing our songs and shit. That's what fucking was freaking me out. Mm. Like they're we're playing the storm and they're singing along and shit. It's like doesn't make it didn't make any sense. It's just like such a mind fuck. Wow. And and then at a, and then for whatever reason, this black guy walks in off the street. He wasn't even wasn't even part of it. Wasn't even part of the the scene music or anything i think it's just look honestly looking for a place to fucking use the bathroom and they fucking mauled him they just fucking mauled him while we're playing and todd sees it and he jumps in to fucking get the guy and we're everybody's like pulling everybody trying to get the guy away we got the guy like up the stage and to the back and trying to face off with these guys and they're fucking it's just just trying to find the words to say and shit yeah. and just yeah and the only only thing I can remember is I just want I just want this to all be over now. Like right now, I just want this all to be over. We and then that's the way it was. We fucking at the end of the night we were we were gonna stay over, but because of what happened, we just like let's go home. Drive straight home. So we're gonna we're gonna drive home and so everyone went to sleep and it was just me and Purcell. And Purcell was driving and I was shotgun and uh we weren't listening to music or anything. We we're just driving up, up 95. Right. And it's like middle of the fucking night. And, 
I just remember going, dude, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I, I get it. And then that was it. They dropped me off in Jersey and, uh, <laughs> they dropped me off in Jersey and I didn't talk to those guys for like 30 years. <laughs> Why not 30 years? <laughs> what, okay, okay. So that was the first and only judge tour pretty much. Right. On that album. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was like weekend shows, West Coast things. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. There was like weekend things and shit, but no like big tours like that. And so what year was that when that was over? 88? 88, 89. Yeah. So how old are you at this point? You're like... Mm, 20. uh, uh, 23, okay. 24. So did you have a... Did you go... You went back home and that was it. He dropped you off. That was it. I'm done. Judge is over. Yeah. I went back home. I said, uh... I'll call you guys at some point. And, um... Just never did. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Please tune in next week for part two with Mike Judge.